0: Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Together. You know, that's how we've been here. I want you to see this. Together as a church. Together we are a church. Welcome to the Middletown Seventh day Adventist Church here in Middletown, Kentucky. We've studied and explored for the last three, four weeks this question. What is church in the context of the world we live in? What is church? What did we learn so far? Those of you who watched, those of you who have been here, um, and since it's been a couple of weeks, last week we had Father's Day um, Sabbath. So I'm going to review a little bit. Church is the ecclesia, right? Right? Church is the people of God. The people who are called out from the world to God. People who are called out from the world. Many people, all people are summoned, are called to make a spiritual decision in their lifetime. Regardless of being a Christian or not. But these people, part of the ecclesia, are called out from the world, and they respond. They come to God, and as a result, they are changed. They are changed. They live a life to represent God in the world. They live their life to glorify God. That's what church is all about. That's how church should make a difference in the world. And we looked at some metaphors so far. Do you remember which one was the first metaphor we studied church as? What is church? And we looked the first time at what Paul refers to the body the body. Paul refers to the human body as the body of Christ. All members in that body are important. Remember the funny story of First Corinthians 12 when, when, when uh, some parts of the body speak to other parts of the body and all that? Once you take one member of the body away, the, the body as it is, as it was designed to function is not function properly or, or it may not function at all. If you take the heart away, it will not function at all. All members of the body of Christ are equally important and vital for the ministry of church of, uh, of Christ's church. It is the body of Christ and He is the head of the body. Remember that picture? The body needs to match the head. Jesus is the body of the believers. As a body of the believers, when people look at us, what do they see? A funny picture? Can they easily see in us his body? Do we match his headship, his leadership? Second metaphor we looked at in this series was the church as the building of God. The members of the church are the building of God, are, are blocks in God's building. And they themselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The building strength is dependent upon each block. As we build strong temples of the Holy Spirit personally and individually, the church as the building of God will be filled with His Spirit and will be a strong church. And remember, Jesus is the foundation. If in the previous metaphor, Jesus is the body, Jesus is the head of the body, in this metaphor, Jesus is the foundation of God's building his church. He must, we must be building on the only foundation that keeps us safe, and that's Jesus Christ. The cornerstone. If you don't have the right foundation, you may be building in the wrong building. You may be part of a building. But if Jesus is not your foundation upon which you build, your building will not stand. God's building is the only building built on Jesus Christ. On His testimony... And on his faith. The church of God. Today, we're going to look at another metaphor in this series. And I must give credit to Pastor Tim Bond for some of these thoughts in this sermon. Today, what is church? Church is the body of Christ. Let us pray one more time. Heavenly Father, we come to you this Sabbath day to thank you for the blessings that you have given us and to ask that as we open your word, you will open our minds to receive it, to transform it, and to help us live a changed life. Please, Lord, give us practical application for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is a parable, a story from ages past about a stately prince and a peasant girl who fell in love. It is kind of hard to understand. On one hand, we have a prince who literally had the world at his disposal. On the other hand, there you You have this uh, uh, this peasant girl on on one hand you have a prince that that uh, there's never been a more perfect man than him. Nothing about him was common. you wouldn't be exaggerating to say that he's a perfect catch. on the other hand, you have this peasant girl who's nothing more than average. There are times when she's cranky and moody and she rarely even achieves anything she could to look at her from anyone's eyes, you would never believe she was worth much. But if you could see her through the prince's eye, you would believe that she is to die for. And because the prince determined that he couldn't live life without her, he Ask her to be his bride. The angels of heaven listened expectantly as she accepted the proposal. The prince promised his bride that he will have to go and come back for her soon. And the peasant girl turned princess now pledged to faithfully await his return. So, up to this point in the story, this could be like any other fairy tales. But now the plot in this story turns bizarre. You would expect the bride to to be always thinking about the coming wedding. But she rarely ever mentions it. You would think that her every waking moment would be lived out in anticipation and preparation for the coming of her prince. However, by the way she lives, you wouldn't even know she's the bride of a perfect prince. More frequently than not, you can't even tell the difference between the bride and any of the other peasant girls in the village. There are even times when she's caught flirting With other men of the village. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a a peasant girl so fortunate to be the object of a perfect prince's love? You would expect her to be captivated by his love and filled with a sense of wonder that she was fortunate enough to be loved by. Him. You would think that she would be careful to remain pure in anticipation of the return of her royal groom. Instead, to look at her, you might wonder if she even remembers she's engaged at all. How could a peasant forget her prince? Is it possible for a bride? To forget her groom. The bride and the groom. Who is the bride and who is the bridegroom? In the introductory paragraph to the doctrine of the church. In the 28 fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventists. In that book... Each doctrine, each fundamental belief that we have from the Bible and the Bible only, there is an introductory paragraph. And at the church paragraph, the introductory paragraph, the last three lines go like this. The church is the bride for whom Christ died that he might sanctify and cleanse her. At his return in triumph, he will present her to himself a glorious church, the faithful of all ages, the purchase of his blood, not having spot or wrinkle, but holy and without blemish. This morning we continue to look at the Bible's metaphors for the church. And we'll learn from them who we are and what we are supposed to be. One of the famous metaphors and one that is filled with meaning is the concept that the church is the Christ's bride. It is an image that is woven throughout the scriptures in in the entire Bible. In fact, Isaiah 62, 5, God speaks to the prophet saying, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. In the book of uh, Hosea, still in the Old Testament, God commands the prophet to marry a woman who is an adulteress. And even though she's unfaithful and leaves her husband, God commands prophet Hosea to purchase her back from the slave market as a parable a parable of God's love for his people. <clears throat> it's not an act of empty symbolism, I can tell you that. In Hosea chapter 2 verses 19 to 20, God promises His people this, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me as your Lord. And in order to understand this image, this metaphor of Church as the Bride of Christ, you and I need to understand what a Jewish wedding was like. There was an initial engagement, or what was called a betrothal. Often marriages were arranged by family of a man and a woman, and after the engagement party took place, the couple was considered husband and wife but they still remained apart then at an unknown time the groom will return to claim his bride and at that time would be a wedding feast and a formal uh, a, a formal party uniting of uh, uniting the couple And they would live together and begin their life as a family. Now during the betrothal or engagement time period, both the groom and the bride were expected and supposed to remain faithful to their engagement. As you can imagine, the time leading up to the wedding was filled with anticipation and excitement as the couple prepared for their wedding. See, that understanding of the Jewish wedding is particularly important when you come to the New Testament. There are several places where this metaphor, uh, the wedding between Christ and the church, shows up. And it's Paul, again, that talks about it. Paul trying to persuade the church in Corinth to be faithful to God. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. He says this, I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. For I I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ and if the and in the 5th chapter of Ephesians still Paul gives instructions about how a husband and wife are to relate to one another he challenges christian couples to live in such a way that the wife respects and submits to her husband and 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 the husband is supposed to Love and respect the wife as Christ loved the church. As a matter of fact, several times in that passage from Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 21 to 23, we'll go through it. In my Bible, this passage is subtitled, Spirit-Guided Relationships, Wives and Husbands. I thought, wow, that's a Great subtitle right there. For Middletown, we're about relationships, right? Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 21. And further, submit one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man lives his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, this passage has been the subject of debate and disagreement for years and still is. Because the word submit, as it refers to the attitude that a wife should have to her husband, has caused much controversy. But notice what Paul is saying here. It's not that the relationship of the husband and wife is a picture of how Christ and the church are to relate to one another is the other way around. Instead, Paul says that the relationship between Christ and his bride is the model for the Christian couple. See, sometimes we try to read into the Bible our own idea and prejudice and our worldview. It should not be so. We ought to let the Bible speak for itself. So in this passage, we learn that Christ served and was willing to die for his bride. The church serves and submits out of love and appreciation for the sacrifice Christ made on on, on our behalf. The basis of the relationship grows out of verse 21. And I'm going to put that on the screen. When Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you want to know how Christian people ought to relate to one another, and certainly these days relate to one another regardless of ethnicity or race, the model is the way Christ and the church relate as a groom to his bride. That's very important to consider it these days. John the Revelator John the Revelator actually describes the church as the bride of Christ as he has seen her in his vision. In Revelation 19 verses 6 and 9, John describes a vision that God gave him. In this vision, he sees what will happen when Christ returns for his second time. At his second coming. It is the picture of the bridegroom coming to claim the one engaged to him. Revelation 19 beginning with verse uh, 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write The blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words of God. That's why the angel said, make sure you write those things down. They need to know. Now, honestly, as I was preparing for this message and pondering the image of the church as the bride of Christ, there is a part of me that cannot relate very well. I've never been a bride. I never even wanted to be a bride. There is a gender gap issue here. And I think that the reality is that women can relate to the idea of anticipating a wedding more than men do. I've participated in a lot of weddings and it's rare that a groom is more excited than the bride is. Men are always more interested in the honeymoon and beyond, right? But once you get past that whole gender thing, you realize that what God is talking about here is the most intimate relationship. The most intimate relationship. Jesus uses this metaphor to describe His relationship with the church. Because he wants us to recognize how deeply he loves us. How intimately he wants to relate to us. My friends, Jesus has fallen in love with you and with me. With us. When he says that our love is To die for, he meant it. It must have been love that led Jesus to spread his hands out to allow nails to be driven through his wrists and feet. As the crown of thorns was wedged into his head and as each breath became shallower as he was hung on the cross, the Son of God could have ended the trauma of his crucifixion any time. If he wanted. But if he had, the wedding would have been off. The peasant bride isn't worthy to wear the white garment of righteousness on her own. Isaiah 64, uh, 6 says that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. no No matter how hard we try, if it all depended on us, there would be no wedding, my friends. But Jesus couldn't bear the thought to spend eternity without you and me. He longs to live eternity with his engaged wife. So with his blood, he purchased a garment of righteousness worthy of a royal wedding. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Now, I have to tell you, given who we are, And the way we behave sometimes. I just can't imagine. Why. A perfect prince. Would want us. As his bride. The church. Is far from being perfect. We're sometimes us. Weak. Cranky and grumpy, we rarely live up to God's expectations or God's full potential. There are times when our faithfulness is not there, or our eyes wander. Sometimes our hearts get sidetracked and we let things like possessions, power, prestige. And prejudice become more important in our lives than the bridegroom who loves us more than life itself. I really shake my head as I ponder his never-ending love for us. His unconditional, infinite love for us. One pastor tells his story of putting his daughter to bed. One night, he says, I put my daughter to bed and went through the routine. He said, I love you. I love mommy. I love your brothers. I love. And then she stopped, looked at me, he says, and asked, what about my teddy? Don't you love my teddy? He said, I looked at the dilapidated discolored, stuffed animal that literally was on its last leg. I paused as I looked at the lifeless bear and then after an awkward silence, he said, I replied, yes, I love your teddy too. She smiled and happily settled onto her pillow, holding her teddy to her chest. Then John comments, he says, as she fell asleep, asleep, I looked at her and her teddy. What if I had replied, no, I don't love your teddy. It's just an old stuffed animal that's, that's about to fall apart. Besides, I love you you your bear. If I said that, John says, my daughter would have been crushed. It would have been the same as if I had said those things about her. I told her how I loved her teddy because my daughter loves her teddy, her teddy bear. This made me reflect on Jesus and his relationship to his church. No biblical writer writes ugly things about the church. Yes, the church had problems to deal with, but the biblical writers did not degrade the church because of it. Jesus loves his teddy. There may be an eye missing. It may be tater. It may be even broken or open and had to be repaired and restuffed and so on. But the church is the most wonderful thing for Jesus. We may look at the church and see all kinds of stains and wrinkles and blemishes and tears and so on. But Jesus sees only a holy and blameless church. One that He has repaired by the washing through the Word. Let's remember. Let's remember this next time we down ourselves for our blemishes. Let's see the church as Christ sees it. And the next time we put down the church, remember that even though we are not perfect, we are forgiven when i take time to ponder his love for me when i really meditate on the love god has for me i can't help i cannot help but long to be pure for his sake one thing i've noticed about couples who are engaged to be married They become obsessed with preparation. They want to make sure that everything is right. The dress, the tux, the weight, the hair. It all needs to be just right. Why? Is it so that their fiancé will want to marry them? No. It's just the opposite. They want to look their, their best... To be at their best because their fiancé is marrying them. The same is true for us. We want to look our best for Christ. We want our hearts to be pure and our thoughts to be clean. We want our lives to be marked by grace and love. We want to be prepared for His coming. It's not so that He will love us. He's already proven His love for us on the cross. We want to be that pure, spotless bride because He loves us so much. How could we ever be unfaithful to the one who loves us so much? Why would we, con- we, why would we be content with the fleeting pleasures of this world, when we can know the fulfillment and depth of an eternal relationship with our God. A professor at a Christian college taught his students to realize that their lives should be invested in heaven rather than earth he made his students understand and to realize that the more they give themselves over to Jesus in this life, the greater they will appreciate the privilege of living in heaven with him. Their reward in heaven will, be direct, will, will directly correlate to their willingness to live by faith while here on earth. The question is, Are you, am I, living every day in preparation for the time when we will be united with Jesus in heaven? Jesus is doing his part. He's doing that. In John 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. My friends, brothers and sisters, those who are watching, Jesus is spending this time in anticipation of the wedding day when he will come back and claim his bride. He is preparing the place that we will call home for eternity. Now the question that every one of us here, you that are watching, the question that every one of us must answer is this. What am I doing to prepare myself for his return and for the wedding.